Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. The following program is an MLWradio.com production. Today we're going to be talking about wrestling with debt. Well, when our listeners need to save some money, what do they need to do? Listen, stop asking them fool questions. He ain't got the answer today, baby. Take it from the second most recognizable athlete in the world today. Savewithbruce.com can't be beat. They lower your monthly payments by five, four, six, eight, seven hundred dollars a month, baby. You got credit card debt, car loan, a second mortgage. They ain't no problem right here at Savewithbruce.com. Punkin' here gonna take care of you today. You understand me, baby? Ooh, yeah, we don't need perfect credit, uh huh? Even with credit scores in the 500, SaveWithBruce.com makes saving money easy. Dig it? NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Mother. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday on the MLW Radio Network. And, of course, the man with the plan, Tony Schiavone himself. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Conrad, uh, another week, uh, and we're getting uh, deeper into the summer, and we're getting uh, much, much closer to coming to Dallas, Texas as well. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about the show to end all WCW pay-per-views. What a uh, what mixed emotion I have about watching that show. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about it because this has to be you know, kind of bittersweet. Um but we'll get into it. But first, let's talk about last week's show. We had a chance to cover Slamboree 2000, uh, and that was a pretty big deal. Uh, at the time, I don't think everybody really understood exactly how big of a deal it was going to be um, because David Arquette is something that people are still talking about all these years later. Uh, what was your uh, feedback from Slamboree 2000? Well, I got a lot of David Arquette feedback, as you might imagine. Uh, people still, uh, there are some people that say, uh, he is still the reason WCW went down. There are some people that say it didn't matter that he won the world heavyweight title. Uh, he gave you a pretty good rub as far as the crossover is concerned. I got a lot of feedback on, uh, talking about Kurt Hennig and the rib. He tried to pull on Eric Bischoff too, by picking up uh, Sean Stasiak and almost slamming him on the part that was gimmicked. Um, and then I, we had some people talk about, uh, the, the finish which was in itself spectacular I'm talking about the bump by Canyon, but because of what had happened to Owen Hart in that same building, uh, was probably not done correctly. So that was the basically overall feedback I got from those. What about you? 
Well, I think a lot of people uh, really stick and kind of hang on to the whole David Arquette point. But overall, I got to say, the show was good. It was ruined for me because of the finish with uh, the Chris Canyon thing. Uh, I was accused of being overly sensitive for my take on that. But I can't imagine, you know, if I was a wrestling fan and I took my kid to see the WWF pay-per-view a year prior and we watched Owen Hart die. And now a year later, I've brought my same kid to see a WCW pay-per-view. And I'm like, whew, it can't be any worse than the last one. And we finished the show at this spot. It just feels like maybe one of the worst decisions in a while. Well, I agree. And, and don't let anyone ever uh, tell you that you're over, overly sensitive because <laughs> they listen to this show. And no, they know not that true. you're not. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's talk about something exciting. Let's talk about July 9th. What happened when live is coming to Dallas. Uh, We are a big fan of finally getting a chance to get out here and meet some of our listeners. And we're coming to see you right before Great Balls of Fire. Uh, It's at three links on Elm Street. You can get your tickets right now at WHW Live. But we've actually got a special announcement. Normally, we like to go ahead and have a surprise guest. uh, But we're actually going to kind of spill the beans here. We've got a pretty big announcement, Tony. Do you want to share it with everybody? I'm really excited about this, uh, and I'm excited about it because of what this person has meant to the podcast world and because uh, he's kind of been the the, the leader, uh, along with yourself, leading me through this. Uh, this is going to be a uh, WHW Live slash Super Podcast event as I'll be joined by the one and only Bruce Pritchard. And Bruce, uh, of course, uh, something to wrestle with, Bruce Bruce Pritchard, Pritchard. uh, is going to be joining WHW Live. Uh, What happened when, for the first time, we'll be together along with Conrad Thompson on stage at Three Links at Dallas on July 9th. Can't wait because I know Bruce has a lot of, of fans who listen to his podcast who don't listen to mine. And I, I look forward to meeting those people as well. This should be tremendous. It's going to be a big event now. And it Bigger really than big. Is. It's a, it's a super show. You know, we get lots of questions on Twitter. People are always wanting to know, hey, are you guys going to do a super show? When is Tony going to talk about the WWF? Well, the format of our show here is to talk about WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions. But our live show right before a WWE pay-per-view, well, we're going to go ahead and tell you now. We're going to talk about some of Tony's first year in the WWE, his only year in the WWE, working with Vince McMahon. Uh, We'll probably cover some 1989 topics. SummerSlam 89 may creep out. And, of course, we're going to touch on a little Monday Night Wars action. Why wouldn't we when we've got both sides of the coin here with Bruce Pritchard on the WWF side, Tony Schiavone on the WCW side. It's the super show you've always wanted from MLW Radio, and we're making it happen on July 9th. We encourage you now, go pick up your tickets. This show is going to sell out. It's in Dallas on Elm Street at Three Links. There's only one place to buy the tickets. It's whwlive.com. We encourage you to get there early uh, because the doors open at 1 o'clock. That's where we're going to be doing our meet and greet, and then we're going to get cranking at 3 o'clock. You'll be out of there in plenty of time to enjoy the pay-per-view. So come join the Super Show. It's Bruce Pritchard. It's Tony Schiavone and myself. We're going to have a good time. We will see you on July 9th. Uh, But let's talk about greed. Uh, Greed is the last pay-per-view from WCW that we would ever see. It would happen just about eight days prior to the very last Nitro. Our episode on the last Nitro is available in the archives if you'd like to check it out. I would consider that a fine companion piece for this show. 
Um, but briefly tell everybody, you know, what some of the thinking behind the, the names of the WCW pay-per-views was going to be in 2001. Of course, we started with sin, then we had revenge. Now we've got greed. Uh, what was kind of the, the, the thinking at the time? Uh, seven deadly sins, obviously. And it, it came from Vince Russo and his, uh, his thoughts and, uh, the, the booking committee back then that, uh, that, uh, then obviously we were playing on sin anyway, and on a pay-per-views and, and on, uh, the, the deadly sin. So it was, uh, I guess we could have had uh, sloth, uh, what would have been another one of the seven deadly sins that we could have had. So yeah, I, <laughs> somebody, somebody asked me what would have been the next one. Someone on Twitter said, what would have been the next pay-per-view? I said, WCW in the tank, because that's <laughs> what we were about that time. Uh, so yeah, we were using the seven deadly sins, uh, and that, that was kind of, uh, different kind of, uh, when, when I think about it, I really don't like it now, but back, back then I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and I gotta say too, this show kind of gets a bad rap and I know everybody likes to bag on WCW at the end and say it was all terrible, but I went into it watching this show and I have to admit, I don't think I'd ever seen this pay-per-view. And if I had, I haven't seen it since it happened but I'm pretty sure I never even saw it. And so when I went back and watched it, I had my expectations set so fucking low. Right. Uh, I mean, I expected this to be the worst thing I ever saw and it wasn't, it wasn't the worst show I'd ever seen. So it was a pleasant surprise for me, but you were there. So uh, what did you think when you watched it back this week? You know what I thought when I watched it back this week, (laughs) I thought the same thing you thought. I thought, I don't remember seeing this fucking show. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I, and I guess it's, and and I, and I know what, what, why I don't remember seeing the show. My, I was so preoccupied with the end of WCW finding another job and trying to stay on my feet that I was so preoccupied with that, that whatever booking was going on and whatever angle was going on, didn't matter to me at that time. Yeah. Now I, I don't, uh, listening to the commentary, I don't think my commentary, uh, showed that. I think I pretty much sounded like Scott and I sounded like we were really into the event, but I really was not. I, I that was not my, the focus of what was going on in my life that time. So I'm going to tell you that I, I don't remember that event. I have no recollection of it. Here's the only thing I remember. I remember going to Gainesville, Florida the next day for nitro and being so distraught about the end of the company and what's going to happen to the company <laughs> that instead of hanging out in the locker room with the, uh, with the Scott and the announcers and everybody else, I stayed in my rental car in the parking lot. Is this real? Yep. Stayed in the rental car in the parking lot. It was March. It was uh, Florida. Uh, and so it wasn't too hot. And I stayed in there the entire time. And I think it rained if I remember. So the windows fogged up. So no one could see me and I just sat in there and, and kind of slept. Wow. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm telling you, I, I didn't remember it at all. Jacksonville, Florida was always a great town for the NW, uh, NWA Jim Crockett promotions. And back then, but, uh, I didn't remember it. Tell you while I know I didn't remember it. I'm sitting here watching this thing and I see Jason jet come in and you know, the first thing I say, to myself, what's that? Who in the hell is Jason Jet? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I remember Kiwi, 
I, I can remember some of the guys like, uh, you know, Elix Skipper. I remembered him and, and obviously some of the guys. And of course, you know, Shane Helms, a great performer. And, uh, I got to see Shane, uh, hurricane Helms, I should say at, uh, WrestleCon. So, and a lot of the guys, as you move up on the card, I knew, but I have no recollection, none of Jason jet. It's not Jason's fault. It's my fault. I don't even remember seeing the kid. So, well, let's touch briefly on kind of setting the stage. Um, towards the end of, uh, February, things start to get a little scattered and nitro and thunder draw record low ratings with a 2.05 and a 1.52. And this causes Bischoff to significantly rewrite the show for the 26th edition or the uh, 26th of February nitro. And he brings back Booker T and, and the plan uh, at least we're led to believe by the dirt sheets was that Hogan, Goldberg, Booker T, Sting, Kevin Nash, all these guys would be put on a shelf and then brought back in mass for a new beginning. And they were, they were kind of teasing the big bang at the time. Right. Um, do you remember thinking that there was some level of optimism that Eric was going to be able to pull this big bang off or by late February, had all of the hope kind of dissipated. It feels as if you were already updating the resume and thought, uh, this is over. Were you, were you thinking I'm moving on no matter what? I don't like this uncertainty or I just don't think Eric can put this together. I thought, I don't think Eric can put this together. I, I would have, I would have gone with Eric. I would have worked for him, worked for the new company, obviously, because I was, I was, uh, I had a, a great living, uh, but the uncertainty of Turner broadcasting I don't know when it happened uh, in, uh, as far as this event is concerned, but I got a call, uh, and Lois can confirm where this happened because she was with me. I got a call at the house from the guy who was the uh, our standards and practices guy, Galen, uh, and he told me that Turner has decided they do not want to carry WCW anymore. And when I got that call, that told me it was done. So I had confidence that Eric would be able to do something with the company, but I wasn't sure where we we're going to end up television wise. I know we had, we had, you know, we had clearances, uh, uh syndicated clearances, which obviously d- didn't mean anything anymore. Uh, but I, I didn't, I, when I got that phone call and I don't know when it was in relation to this event, I knew the end was near. So I had uh, make calls and, and, uh, and he even called Vince that night, uh, and talked to him and, uh, knew it was, it was over. So, uh, I was pretty upset, uh, because number one, I'd put my heart and soul into this company and, uh, the company was doing exactly what I had foreseen when I arrived back out of the WWE in 1990 and that was the company had gone tits up. Uh, so there. So I was pretty upset. But I, I thought uh, that I, I could move on with Eric. Uh, but further than that, if, in fact, you know, there were rumors that it's going to be bought by the WWE, which is what happened. I wasn't sure I'd be able to go back to the WWE. Lois said, listen, you're not, we're not going to live back in Connecticut. Mm. And, and I said, oh, okay. Uh, she said, there's plenty of opportunities for you around here. Uh, and I said, well, you know, if, uh, if they do buy it and they do want me, I'm going to work for them. 
And if it takes me going up there and living and getting up enough money to finally bring you up, kids were, uh, uh, Matt was in high school at that time. Actually, Matt had just graduated from high school at that time. And the other kids were in middle school. Um, and, uh, with my daughter going to high school, I, I said, if it, if it takes me going up there and you coming later with the kids after the kids are out of school, then that's what it'll do. And of course that never transpired. So there was a lot of uncertainty in the Shivani family at that time, you know, uprooting your family. What are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Who wants you? So it wasn't a good time for me. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay this, this podcast and, and give everybody a downer, but I just want to let everybody know what was going through my mind. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the performers here, because I think history has kind of forgotten the fact that AJ Styles actually wrestled in WCW. And of course he's the, the toast of the town. Now he's the face that runs the place, the champ that runs the camp in the WWE in 2017. But, uh, here 16 years ago in 2001, he was tagging with air Paris, uh, in the cruiserweight tag title tournament. Do you remember? AJ Styles at the time at all, or is he in the Jason Jet category in that he just it just kind of in one ear out the other for you? No, I, I remember AJ because he was a great performer uh, and a great kid, and because he was from Gainesville, Georgia, and we had performed a lot in Gainesville, Georgia. So I I knew him and talked to him and and knew he was going to be a star. I, I had I had hoped that moving forward and after uh, WCW went down that the fact that he was a Southern boy from Gainesville, Georgia would not hold him back. Uh, but it didn't. Uh, but I do remember him. Absolutely. The, um, developmental deal that WCW had with NWA Wildside was canceled on February 27th. Uh, and the wrestlers who were booked for Wildside dates in March were able to fulfill the dates. Uh, but there would be nothing further. Of course, the company was going out of town, but that was Meltzer's, uh, report. Uh, do you remember the, any particulars of this wild side deal or dealings with Bill Barron's or AJ or air Paris or any of those guys who may have had some crossover with WCW? No, I do not. Uh, again, I wish I did. Uh, but my, my focus was not was what was going on in the business at that time. My focus was showing up and calling a match in the story. And that's why this event is, is so odd to me. And there's a lot of things about this event that going back and looking at that I liked a lot of the, about this event, it's pretty apparent on this event. And I think uh, the, I think our fans would agree that when you watch it, it's pretty apparent how far WCW had fallen. Yeah. Uh, it was quite a bit different. That's for sure. Yes, it was. Um, Meltzer would write in, in leading to the show, he would talk about, uh, some of the work of Mike awesome. And he said, you can really see how well Heyman protected awesome when he works with inexperienced guys. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of awesome? Or is that more of a statement for WCW at the whole, as a whole at that time? Yeah, it's a, it's a statement for WCW at the whole at that time. Uh, there were a lot of really experienced guys who were working in the show. I mean, for crying out loud, Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo were our world tag team champions. Um, so that, I think that's a, a statement for WCW as a whole. I think Mike awesome was, you know, not everybody can give a great match every time. And I think Mike awesome was a tremendous performer. We talked about this earlier. I love Mike awesome. He's one of my favorite wrestlers and, uh, I really enjoyed his work here and it's a shame that he's no longer with us. He's another tragic tale of the wrestling yeah. business. Let's talk about Arn Anderson. 
In my research for the show, I found this little tidbit from the observer. Aaron Anderson was suspended for two weeks. Not sure of the details, but apparently it was over the layout of a match last week, believed to be Luger versus Palumbo on thunder, which was one of those swerves where the veteran is supposed to put over the new guy, but in the sense of how it worked, he did the pinfall finish, but made him look bad the entire match in the process. So it served no actual purpose. That's the problem about keeping some of these guys to give young guys the rub. They put, may put them over as into a pinfall for them, but it won't really put them over. Um, do you remember Arn being suspended here or this match that was, I guess, controversial? Yeah, I remember this and I remember it feeling that was unfair uh, to Arn that he was suspended because it, it basically guys, when they go into the ring, like Luger would do, would basically do what they would want. Yeah. That do. was my follow up. is did Luger just go rogue and kind of do his own yes. thing here? Yeah, of course he did. And, and, and it's a spot. It's one of those catch 22s in the business where if you're a young guy like Palumbo at the time. You're supposed to, the, the right thing to do in wrestling is to let the veteran call the match and listen to the veteran. And so if he right. says, do this or that, it's a respect thing in the business. You do that. But then when you do it, the heat doesn't go on Luger. It goes on the agent, Arn Anderson. Exactly. And that was unfortunate because Arn was a tremendous agent, is a tremendous agent, as we know, and was a good friend. But that was all part of the chaos that we had at WCW at that time. People mad at people, people getting suspended like Arn and, uh, wrestlers going rogue and you know, everybody was, uh, everybody was kind of out for themselves back then. And I was one of them as well. You know, a lot of people I think miss this. And of course they don't advertise it. And Arn's not a guy who would ever say anything like this, but people always wonder, man, wh- how does John Cena continue to have big pay-per-view matches? You know, in the current day, there's lots of criticism for John Cena, but seemingly he puts together a phenomenal match on pay-per-view almost every single time. And so people even kind of jokingly refer to him as big match John in certain internet circles where people are just fired up for a John Cena pay-per-view match. The agent on all of those matches, you want to take a guess, Tony? Yeah. Let me guess. It's uh, Marty Lundy. There you go. Arn Anderson yep. himself. Uh, he is, uh, one of the more underrated minds in wrestling. We say that every week here on the show, but yeah, there's our and, little and tidbit. Of rightfully love so. Yeah. And you know, I, I think something needs to be said to John Cena about this because a good match could be laid out and you not be able to pull it off. And he's able to pull it off. Absolutely. You know, he he is in tremendous shape, understands the business, uh, gets a lot of heat, but at the same time, uh, pulls off a great match, uh, every time he wants to on pay-per-view and Arn has a lot to do with that. Also in my notes this week, I found a note. Uh, I don't know why this little note from Meltzer made me laugh. Lash Hmm. LaRue was asked to lose 20 pounds because they want him in the cruiserweight division and don't want chunky losing cruiserweights. Chunky looking cruiserweights. Um, who would have been the person to tell Lash to drop 20 pounds? It'd have been Eric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he had asked me to lose or told me to lose weight as well, which I did. And, and it, it helped me out. But again, Eric was just, you know, was looking for things, you know, every, every, we, everybody was kind of looking for things, reasons that things were going wrong. And a lot of times when things go wrong, you point to the wrong things and you point to small things. And, uh, I mean, I, I mean, if, I don't know if you can perform, you. right. What does it matter? What you look like? I've got to think, you know, this is my two cents. Um, okay. But to me, if Lash LaRue and you had lost weight, WCW would still be around today. <laughs> I mean, they would, this was, yeah, the I know. It's absolutely. Next yeah. time somebody says who killed WCW, was it Eric Bischoff? Was it guaranteed contracts? Was it Kevin Nash? Was it Vince <laughs> Russo? No, it's fucking Lash LaRue and Tony Schiavone. 
not getting on that special K dot. If these fucks would have got weight washers, we'd still be doing Starcade this December, but we're not now. Thanks a lot. Lash. Thanks for nothing, Tony. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. But guess what? I'm a lifetime member of weight watchers. As you can tell by looking at me, I haven't gone in a long time, but I was at that time. And uh, even though my belly went over my belt at times, there were a couple of ladies at WCW that still liked me. Well, we know that. I mean, it was easy to see you were in the makeup chair all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, the ladies are still loving those shirts over at pro wrestling forward slash WHW. Uh, we've got some tremendous shirts in there that if you haven't seen them in a while, you should. One of my favorites though, is Parker's jump rope Academy. You can wear this in public and not be ashamed guys. Uh, you'll know what the joke is about. And some of your wrestling friends will know, but almost no one else will. They'll also want to know who is a Tom Zink guy. Well, I'm a Tom Zink guy. You can be too. pro wrestling forward slash W H W. Don't forget the hot tag shirt. Probably my favorite shirt on the entire site, uh, because not a lot of people know what we're talking about there, but you do. And uh, it's fashioned after the Krispy Kreme hot now sign. It's good stuff. We're out of time. You've even got the big gold belt design, the old commentary ninja, yes, uh, sir. the panty monster, or the panty monster. Easy for me to say the button on the fur coat, pasta still rules. All these shirts and more are available at pro wrestling forward slash WHW. And when you pick up one of those shirts, you actually give them a call. Don't you, Tony? Call them on the telephone. Uh, I don't call you right away. Uh, there have been a lot of uh, people that I have called before the shirt has arrived. So, uh, But normally you'll get the shirt first. Uh, but I, I say the same thing every time. Wear that fucking shirt with pride because you are a part of what happened when and you're a part of the history of professional wrestling. And I'm sincere about that. I mean, that this is what we do. We celebrate the past uh, of pro wrestling uh, for good or bad. And there's a lot of bad. But we still celebrate it because we remember all the times that happened. So appreciate all the, the people who bought shirts. There's one gentleman, and I have yet to call him, who bought six shirts. Six? Amazing. And I appreciate that. It uh, is amazing. And uh, we hope that you wear some of these shirts to come see us on July 9th when uh, yeah. Bruce and I are trying to salvage this Tony Schiavone podcast together. Hey, um, so Mean Gene Okerlund <laughs> has two years left on his contract. This comes directly from the Observer. Uh, uh-huh. Meltzer writes, he hasn't been used for the last few weeks except for doing the pregame show on the pay-per-view. The latest idea from Bischoff is doing backstage interviewers without an interviewer and the guy yeah. being shot from the side. It's a different right. camera angle, but it's not an improvement. We saw this uh, on the Greed pay-per-view. There was a backstage promo, uh, I believe, with Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. And they're kind of looking off to the side, not directly at the camera. And we don't see who they're talking to. And I watched it with a friend of mine, Cassio kid. And he said, who the hell is he talking to? Exactly. And I, and I couldn't help but think about, we've talked about this before. Uh, when you watch this back, is this kind of an eye roll moment for you? Because we, it seems like we just talked about this. Yeah. When I walk, when I walked, watch it back, it was an eye roll moment for me, but through the entire process, what is mind-boggling about this whole fucking thing is that you got the greatest stick man ever, ever in the business in Gene Okerlund. And you're not using him. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. No, it just blows me away. And again, it it goes back to us looking, Shivani needs to lose weight. Lash LaRue needs to lose weight. 
well, we don't need to use Oakland. We're using too much. Let's do this. Let's do it. Boy, you know, we were just, you know, it's the old coffin running down the hill on roller skates. Like we talked about, it's getting ready to hit the curb, buddy. It's close. Um, Meltzer would write, for whatever it's worth, Hall doesn't expect to be offered a job. Let's talk about this, Tony. Uh, hmm. What do you think the tipping point for Scott Hall not being welcomed back was? Obviously, he was once upon a time, not too long before this, one of the biggest stars in the business. But WCW and the boys had probably had to put up with a lot of crap by this point. Uh, was it just a spot where you didn't think he was worth the risk? Or you know he just wasn't worth the hassle? Or he was asking too much money? Or what do you think was the crux of when this thing was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back? Scott had, uh, had a reputation as we know, uh, and, and it's, it's well-worn in professional wrestling. Uh, he was, and admitted so he was a very much a shit disturber in the backstage area. Uh, and I think he did that a lot of times he did that as a joke to be funny. Uh, but it just wore on some people. Uh, and we know of his inequities. I, I think it's, it got to the point to where you just, it wasn't worth the risk for Scott Hall, which was, it's a tragic story because it's one of the best performers ever. If, I mean, he's one of the top 10 performers of all time. It's something we addressed before. Yeah. I mean, so he's, he's certainly one of my favorites. I, um, you know, I, I think he's probably one of the more underrated wrestlers, uh, you know, w as far as not necessarily getting the main event spot, but you can't necessarily blame promoters when he was at his peak and he just wasn't in a spot where guys could trust him. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, uh, I guess within the last couple of years when all this, uh, and diamond Dallas page and, and Jake, the snake looking for him and the video that was out there and the, yeah. the whole Scott Hall story. I watched that thing and it, and it broke my heart and Scott has a very close friend. Uh, and, uh, I called this close friend and I said, do you know how to get in touch with Scott? And, uh, the friend said, I do not. And I said, I want his phone number because I want to call him because this just breaks my heart knowing what he was and what a great performer he was. And what, if you wipe everything away from Scott, was truly a good guy. I knew Scott when he was on the, back in the early eighties, when he was on the grounds crew at Crockett park with Klondike bill, uh, before he even got into wrestling when he was just a kid. And th this person said, I could probably get you his number, but don't bother. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He won't talk to you. He won't talk to anybody. Right. So that, that broke my heart. So the, the, the whole Scott Hall story is, is a downer. Well, it really a, is, but it has a happy ending. Scott's in a much better place. Now he's doing yeah. a lot better. Obviously this is something where you're taking it day by day and you're never really done. Uh, he'll always work at it, but he is in such a good spot now, especially compared, you know, to years past. And, yeah. uh, he's one of the success stories in wrestling that, that shows that you can have, you know, life on the other side. And, uh, I'm excited for him. I can't wait to see what's next. Let's talk about. Uh, kind of some of the horrendous gates at the time. I, I enjoy mm. this business aspect of the business. Sometimes the nitro and thunder that they did, um, in Louisiana. So new Orleans is yeah. February 26th. They draw yeah. 1,344 people in new Orleans 
for a gate of $40,740. Meltzer notes there were actually more comp tickets out in the city than the total number of paid plus the paper in the building. 2,900 fans are there, but only 1,300 paid. Considering where Nitro once was, and by once was, I mean two years prior, and now here we are with 1,300 folks, this feels like WCW circa 1991, does it not? Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't help to think why somebody give me the answer here. I guess Meltzer thinks he's got all the answers to this. Maybe he doesn't. No, I don't think he thinks he has. Okay. But but why? Why You know, I watched the show greed and I thought, you know, there's some things salvageable here. This could be a viable wrestling company. And it's not only, it's not just the fault of the production or the work rate or the wrestlers. Why of, I guess it just goes down and, and I didn't read all of Eric's book. I just uh, guess it goes down to a mismanaged company. And I'm talking about the Turner executives and not Eric Bischoff here, but, but why two years ago were we so good? And all of a sudden we went downhill. The sports teams do that. They have winning seasons and they, uh, Two years later, they have losing seasons and they, and we were a sports team, right? Uh, we had a trainer, Danny young, and we, we had all the guys who were athletes on our sports team and we were a team that traveled around. Why did we go down so quickly? Uh, that's, that's one of the great questions of history. Let's talk a little bit about dusty Rhodes returning to the ring here. Uh, this feels like a complete departure from what Eric Bischoff would have been into, uh, for whatever reason, um, Meltzer would write about one specific show leading to this pay-per-view. The main was Jarrett over Rhodes with flair as the ref flair paid the total heel ref crowd was dead and match was boring. Flair did all sorts of goofy spots and bumps, but didn't DQ Rhodes Anyway, Rhodes kept beating on flair and Jarrett, but looked terrible in doing so. At one point, it seemed like flair was a statue waiting forever for Rhodes to nail him so he could bump. Uh, and later he would, uh, Meltzer being, he pronouns pal would, would talk a little bit more about ratings and where they were at the time, uh, specifically, you know, circling Jeff Jarrett, a correction from last week. When we stated the Jeff Jarrett, Justin Rhodes match drew a 1.61 quarter hour. We said that was the lowest rated main event in nitro history. It was actually the second lowest. The lowest was on January 8th for Jeff Jarrett versus Scott Steiner. As you can tell, there is a constant. Um, mm. Do you so think, Jeff Jarrett's Jeff Jarrett's the reason we went out of business? Is I, that what he's saying? I think we're I think we agree at this point. It's Lash Larue not losing weight, Tony Giovanni yeah. not losing weight, and Jeff yeah. Jarrett. Uh, well, we should have called Campbell, California, got that motherfucker to run the business. Is what we should have done. What did you think about? Jarrett as uh, in this main event position and then him actually working matches with dusty. It feels, I don't know, out of place. Well, you know, I was always a big dusty fan and, uh, because he started me in this, one of the people that started me in this business, I don't know if it felt out of place or not to me. I, I thought it was going back to the roots of two guys who had been in this business for a long, long period of time, uh, trying to get something, trying to just do something. I look, 
if you look at this pay-per-view greed, to me, the most entertaining part of this was the whole dusty thing. It was the most entertaining part of this show. The whole angle, the burritos, uh, dusty was a big hit in Florida. Him doing the flip flop fly, them bumping for that crazy shit that he always did. The fans reacted to this match more than any others. So what is that saying? Is that saying that, uh, dusty and Jared and that flaring that whole thing was an angle that was the shits or is that saying they still had some life to it? Right. I, to me, it was the whole, it was, it made me laugh when dusty said in the backstage area, I tell you, I got to match my ass and Ric Flair's face is what I got. And he and Dustin talking about the burritos and watch the match and watch the reaction to the fans because throughout most of this stuff, the fans don't give a shit. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the match a little bit. Okay. I, I just, I found it interesting that, you know, in a time when they're trying to push things forward and you're introducing new characters like AJ styles and air Paris, you're also going back to what, you know, we'll get over in dusty. Mm-hmm. And you know that some of these guys on here are doing some really spectacular moves. There's a spot in the pay-per-view where Billy Kidman does a shooting star press from the rope to the floor. Right. And dusty, you know, doing a flip flop and fly gets a bigger pop. You know, it just, it's kind of an old school wrestling tradition, I guess, uh, that Meltzer would write on the way to this pay-per-view. There's also communication continuing to put together the worked angle where Hogan would start his own company on Fox to feud with TBS and a Japanese style company versus company angle. That's why Hogan is getting the word out. He would never work for WCW again. It's simply setting up a proposed angle. At this point, there is no Fox deal. Do you remember ever hearing that Hogan was trying to put something together with Fox to work an angle with WCW? No. Uh, the only thing I heard about Hulk Hogan was out of that bash of the beach event that he was suing everybody and he was out of the, out of the picture. And you believe that was the lawsuit to be a shoot. No, it is a work. Okay. It was absolute fucking work. It was one of those extreme works. So extreme where they probably even got lawyers to try to make it look like a shoot. It was a fucking work. The whole thing was anybody that says it, it, it wasn't is ran. I got some heat about that too. Uh, voice of my, uh, opinion on that. And that's something we could talk about down the road. Um, Meltzer would, would tag on later and say that the new version he got about the Arn Anderson suspension was because he allowed Luger and Bagwell to do an interview on the show before one of their matches, but that was not in the script for the show. Um, again, is this likely Luger and Bagwell going into business for themselves? I allowed them to do a, a interview on the show. Yeah, I assume that if, came if, out and if it's not in the format, I can, I cannot imagine it not getting on there at all, unless Guys come they the threw it in the right at the end. Yeah. I just, that, that seems odd. Allow them to do an interview on the show. You, yeah. You can do an interview, but you got to have it booked. You got to have a spot for it. That's weird. You call That's bullshit. You weird. call bullshit on that report from the, yeah, report. I call bullshit. Uh, uh, they may have said something during the interview that got everybody pissed off, but allowing them to do an interview impromptu to me, it sounds like bullshit. We, we've talked about this some on Bruce's show, but we haven't talked about it here with you. Road mm. warrior animal is on this show and he has it in his contract here that he can only wrestle in tag matches. This is apparently some sort of settlement from his Lloyd's of London deal where he has convinced these insurance people that working a singles match is too stressful. 
Uh, but working a tag match is just fine. Uh, your thoughts on this Lloyd's of London settlement or Lloyd's of London in general. Yeah. Uh, I always thought Lloyd's of London was a pretty good gimmick for people to get money. Uh, and, uh, apparently that was another way. I, I have no opinion on that with the exception of if he convinced Lloyd's of London of that, and he's a pretty good worker outside of the ring as well as inside the ring. Uh, towards the, um, end of nitro's era, the, uh, Knoxville show on the 12th of March, mm. Meltzer would write that the show was mainly written by Ed Ferrara. Uh, do you remember Ed kind of positioning himself to be like the head writer? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, I think he did it reluctantly. I don't think Ed had any, uh, well, I know that Ed didn't have any political desires to run this thing, but it was kind of thrown in his lap. And I remember going to meetings where he was running the meetings and Ed tried as best he could to keep things together and, and do the best he could. And it seemed like that he really would rather work under somebody or alongside of somebody instead of being the person in charge. I don't know if that was because he didn't want this, all this shit to fall on him when it went south or what, but yeah, Ed was in charge. Uh, let's talk about some releases and some, you know, last minute business for WCW. Chris Ford, who wrestled as crowbar was released and told by the office because his contract was quote, so high, it's believed to be just over a hundred thousand a year. And they were cutting back on the budget. Uh, it was a high figure. If you consider the company had stopped using him. There are going to be more, and the feeling is that the hardest, youngest working guys are going to be making the least. They'll also be more than likely to be cut rather than the laziest headliners who put the company in this mess. That is from the Observer. Do you agree with that, that if you were cutting folks, cutting an underneath guy like Crowbar for $100,000 isn't necessarily going to make a dent in it the way cutting some of the top guys would have been? Well, it's not, but you you got to go back to, is he being used? Right. And if he's not being used, why you, why pay him? Yeah, it feels like Meltzer's just kind of campaigning. He has his favorites, well, yes. and he wants some guys there, There's no question there. And now, I guess we got another reason that we got into this mess. Crowbar. And that was the Crowbar. lazy overpaid performers, right? Well, Crowbar specifically is the call. I mean, I'm tired of everybody blaming everybody else. Let's just, let's just call it like it is. This is all Lash LaRue and Crowbar's fault. I mean. Yes, it is. Um, should have cut that motherfucking crowbar a long time ago. <laughs> time Warner is moving to settle as many lawsuits as possible. As quickly as possible. Jerry Sags of the nasty boys had his case settled a few months ago, claiming a career ending concussion from a chair incident with Scott Hall, who was warned to stay away from his head due to a previous concussion and Hall didn't clocked him again. And Sags never wrestled again. There was another part of that story and that Sags was furious that Hall hit him with a chair and attacked him for real in the ring and busted him up pretty good to the point that Hall needed oral surgery. This is kind of a famous story in WCW. Uh, do you remember the chair incident and yeah. the settlement or the lawsuit and any sort of fallout from Sags? I remember after it happened uh, and how angry Sags was and uh, what went down, and I remember there being a lot of talk about it amongst the boys. But I also remember feeling that you know, there's a lot of lawsuits going on here, as you mentioned, right. settling lawsuits. This is, you know, if you think back to it, this is probably one of the main reasons that AOL and Turner said, we've had enough of this bullshit. Because the only thing we're doing is getting into lawsuits after lawsuit after lawsuit, uh, and it's not worth our time. Uh, so one of these lawsuits, not saying it was the SAGS lawsuit, it certainly helped uh, Turner 
AOL Time Warner Sour on Wrestling. Let's get to greed. Uh, Meltzer would write, the show was very sad to watch because not only was it good, but they finally did the things they've been needing to do for the past 18 months. The booking was good and not overdone. The matches were given time and many of them were very good as well. And there were attempts through ring entrances and finishes to elevate younger talent, including kid Romeo and Elix Skipper as a tag team. Sean O'Hare attempted to be groomed for the superstar level. Sean Stasiak getting a bigger push as well as Shane Helms as a cruiserweight with star credibility and Jason jet as a newcomer coming in and getting a huge push in commentary based on him being a good worker. This is like a glowing review from Dave Meltzer. And, and I think Dave kind of sees the same thing I did where I thought, Hey man, this is better than I remember. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I was saying. I'm watching the show thinking we have something salvageable here. We have kids who can perform. We're giving them finishes. You know, we go back to just a year ago when a, a pay-per-view was basically to further an angle on nitro where we had a lot of people going on a lot of, as we would say, cluster fucks going on in the ring. We didn't have a lot of those here. We had a lot of good finishes. Uh, a lot of guys did jobs. And, uh, as a matter of fact, didn't everybody do a job in this one? Yeah. I mean, it was, there was no DQ or no count outs, right? There's lots of clean finishes in this show. Yeah. So that was good. I, I think sometimes we, well, I know sometimes we, uh, uh, put too much credence on clean finishes to be, uh, the sign of good or bad business, but in a pay-per-view, I am for clean finishes. And we've talked about that and we've got a lot of those here. Well, let's, um, let's cover the big news from the observer. He says the biggest backstage story involved Lex Luger and buff Bagwell, who may have greatly hurt whatever slim chances and virtually no chance of being picked up by the WWF with their reaction to being asked to put over Palumbo and O'Hare. Meltzer would write that both of the guys complained so loudly that most of the boys thought they were just being babies. Eventually they storm out of the building after a meeting and go to the gym. And this leads a lot of people to believe they're not coming back. Uh, the match itself was booked for eight minutes, eight minutes, and it was supposed to be O'Hare pinning Luger with a senton bomb clean. Instead, after doing a lengthy interview, which was on the script, they went into business for themselves and did a spot where they knocked each other out and laid down for O'Hare to do his move on both of them and pin Luger in 54 seconds. This was from the Kevin Nash school of doing a job where if you do it quickly, nobody takes it as seriously as, as if you lost a long, hard fault match. Uh, then both oversold the effects of it for several minutes, including Bagwell trying to spoof his legitimate neck injury by not moving. Both men laid in the ring motionless while people at home were watching a video package building up the cat versus Canyon match, almost doing a caricature of being paralyzed, which came off to the fans live as blatant exposure of the business. And then when the cameras were back on Bagwell moved, teasing a reoccurrence of his famous neck injury, most of the wrestlers and virtually all of the agents were furious. Do you remember this situation? Yeah, I remember the, I remember the whole thing. I remember us thinking that those guys would not come back. And I also remember me thinking, you know, I got enough to fucking worry about the hell with it. If they show up, they show up. If they don't, they don't. A uh, couple of things. Uh, did you use the term blatant exposure of the business, right? Well, now? I read Meltzer's using. Okay. The okay. You read blatant exposure of the business. Wouldn't it be the subtitle of the wrestling observer back then? <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. it be? Yeah, it would be. Uh, it okay. Would be. So there pot kettle. Uh, that's one thing. 
another thing is it was always, and this is not to be uh, uh, put on Kevin Nash, it always was a thought in the business for years that if you do a job quick, quickly, the fans don't remember it as well as they do if you have a long match and then you lose. That was always a thought process back then. That was a thought process when uh, I think Luger and uh, and Sting wrestled in a clash, uh, and it was a very, very fast win for Luger. I can't remember back then. But I remember talking back then that, and the bookers back then said, you know, if we do it quickly, fans don't remember it. So I don't, I'm not going to blame Kevin Nash for that one. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – they uh, they oversold it, didn't they? And I, I think in, in I think as a result, when you watch this match, they hurt themselves more. They hurt themselves by their backstage antics. Number one and number two, they hurt themselves in the ring as well because uh, it just made it look like they got their ass run over, and they were old school and they were gone, and these new kids prevailed. So hey, let's talk about. Um... Lex Luger specifically, because by this point you had worked with Lex Luger for a long time. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Uh, do you remember there being a moment in time where you thought to yourself, man, something's going on. He's, he's more difficult to deal with here. This isn't the same guy. He's kind of a dick because I feel like a lot of people, you know, didn't have that opinion of Luger right away. Uh, but in time that certainly became the rap on him. Now, of course, these days, Luger could not be more genuine and polite. He's in a different place in his life. He's, you know, found Jesus and really a different human being than he was back then. But do you remember there being a moment in time where you thought, who the fuck is this guy? What happened to him? No, you know, Luger, Luger was all, first of all, Luger was always, Luger and I always had great conversations because he's an intelligent guy. And, uh, I always, uh, thought Luger was the same person that he was all the way through. Uh, he would, was not quick to follow orders. He was quick to think about it or to do his own thing or to be opinionated. Sometimes it didn't, uh, set well with the boys. Uh, but I don't, I'm not blaming Luger as much and, and buff as much as I'm blaming the times that we were in. Wow. Look at there. That's a hot take, Tony. Most people who are listening to this just can't wait to pile on Luger and Bagwell. But well, the, most people that don't didn't know them as well as I did either. Well, there you go. But they were look. They were both difficult to work with. There was no question they were difficult to work with. Uh, but Luger was difficult to work with all throughout his career. It's you, just the times made it even worse. Do you ever remember hearing a story about um, some of the boys discovering that Judy Bagwell would shave Buff's bag for him? No. Yeah. Apparently that was a thing. Really? Uh, I had one of the boys, um, who probably doesn't want me to say his name. And okay. he, he went over to Buff's house one day to visit. And so, you know, he kind of knocks on the door. Nobody comes, knocks on the yeah. door. Nobody comes. He opens mm. the door, says hello. And then Buff hears him and says, Hey, I'm back here. So he kind of follows the voice around. He's I'm in the bathroom. So he like kind of lingers outside of the room. He's like, no, it's okay. You can come in. So he comes in and so allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, um, Buff's mom was trimming the undercarriage for him. Hmm. And, uh, my, our, our mutual friend, you know who this is too. is yeah. like, what the fuck are you doing? What, what's going on? And Buff allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo was incredulous. Like, what do you mean? Your mom doesn't shave your bag. 
<laughs> like everybody does this. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I just wanted to know if, if Judy was using a dollar shave club razor with some of Dr. Carver's shave butter, cause it can be yours right now. Introductory, you know, get a full set of those razors, only five bucks with free shipping. You can't lose over dollar shave club.com. Anyway, um, have you heard that story or is that all new to you? Yeah, that sounds like a bullshit story, but it does sound like something that Buff would say. Come on in, doesn't your mom shave your back? <laughs> it sounds like something he would say. I could see him saying that, but for crying out loud. Uh, hypothetically, do you think Klondike Bill would let Judy Bagwell shave his back? No, he would want as much hair down there as he could, he could imagine. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. He, yeah, he'd like mangled, tangled, dirty hair. Even on himself. Down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Meltzer would write, there's another last minute change in the cruiserweight tag tournament. Ray Mysterio jr. And Billy Kidman had been told all along that they were getting the titles, including given a finish going over on the day of the show, they got word about it, that it was changing. And at the last minute, and while they were both very upset about it, they were professional enough to not let it affect the match quality. I got to say, Tony, when I watch this back, it does feel like, oh, well, you've got Kidman and Mysterio. I mean, that's who's going over. These are the two bigger stars in the match, but it feels like this is the right call. If you're really trying to get over the next generation, you know, what say you, yeah, it is the right call. And that's probably why they changed it. Uh, and I don't, if you're getting paid big sums of money that everybody was back then, what does it matter if you're going over or not on a pay-per-view I, that was the standing thing in the business that I just didn't get back in the day. If you continue to do jobs, then your payoff was probably not as good, but now with, with, with money, the way it was do the freaking job. I, 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 and this happened more than once people upset about doing, do the freaking job. You're getting paid. It's a story. Anyway, guess what? When you get the cruiserweight tag team titles around your waist, you're not really the cruiserweight champions because, as I said last week, it's a fucking work. This always blew me away that people were upset about doing the jobs or going over. Uh, and I, I agree with you that they uh, putting Elix Skipper and Kid Romeo over was the right thing to do. They were being put over by two great performers. The uh, house has 3,551 paying fans. A total of 5,030 showed up. Uh, the building is at about 75% capacity as far as the way the seats are filled. They drew a house of just under $118,000. Uh, so this isn't the worst show you guys have ran. Um, do you remember Jacksonville being a particularly strong or poor market one way or another? It was one of the great markets. Jacksonville was one of the great markets and I'm, I'm going back to old Jim Crockett promotions, uh, and the old NWA prior to, uh, being bought by Turner broadcasting Jacksonville, Norfolk, Virginia, obviously Greensboro and Charlotte were our big strongholds and Jacksonville would always seemingly when even business was down would seemingly draw a house. So it was always a good town for us. Uh, Meltzer would note that he felt like the, the show started off with two hot matches and we'll, we're going to break these down match at a time, but he thought that Stasiak Bigelow killed the crowd for several matches. And when I watched it back, I kind of felt the same way. Even, you know, a friend of the show, Cassio kid observed that. And, uh, I actually thought at the time 
there was some sort of fake noise or crowd noise being piped in. I felt like I was hearing stuff that didn't really match the people I was seeing on TV. And Meltzer reported that in his, in his newsletter. Do you remember there being some sort of sweetening of crowd noise? At the time, I don't remember it because if they did it, I was not uh, privy to it. However, after watching this event, it was very apparent and it got more and more apparent as it went along. First couple of matches, I wasn't sure, but there was no question that it was because you could hear the roar of the crowd in the back. They seemed to keep an entire roar in the background, even when fans were, if you watch it, not roaring. At that time, I didn't realize it because it was in my headset and I'm calling the match. I'm not thinking about things like that, but there's no question the crowd was sweetened to the point to where it really kind of sounded phony Yeah, near the end. Uh, Meltzer would write. If there was a fitting in, so to speak, of the final WCW pay-per-view event, it was seeing Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes in the ring, by far getting the biggest crowd reactions of anyone on the show. Flair and Rhodes were the two's top single stars when Turner purchased the company in 88. Although who would have believed in 2001, they would oppose each other for the first time ever in a pay-per-view match. Their legendary matches, particularly in the mid-80s, came across the NWA promotion before they got on pay-per-view. And Flair, who just turned 52, was able to carry Rhodes, by far the biggest star from the regional days of Florida wrestling, now 55. Flair and Jeff Jarrett bumped for his trademark spots during his brief moments in the ring, and as good as the main event came across on television, perhaps the saddest end of the show was that as the two were both bleeding and killing each other to make a match, fans were leaving in droves live, paying no attention, having already seen their favorites, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. You know, it's kind of funny because until he points it out here, it didn't dawn on me that the last WCW pay-per-view is the only Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes match on pay-per-view. And they kind of, they kind of go out how they started. It almost feels like Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes kind of bookend WCW here. And that didn't really dawn on me until I did my research in the show at the time. Is that something that you picked up on and, and, and paid special attention to? Yeah, we did. Uh, if you listen to the match, Scott uh, Hudson brought it up uh, that this was the first time ever on a pay-per-view. We mentioned that they had been together on some uh, Starcades. Uh, we talked about the gathering. Uh, we talked about the first Starcade. Of course, uh, Dusty wasn't on that, but we talked about the gathering, talked about uh, back in 86 and the Great American Bashes, which back then were not pay-per-view events, right? but were big events. Uh, uh, Scott brought that up and he did a good job on bringing that up. Uh, and I didn't, uh, it didn't hit me until watching it again, that, that that's what it was. Um, uh, I, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm touching on a point here and, and the point here is this, it, it seemed to me that through the years of Turner broadcasting that Turner, and we can even blame Eric for this. Uh, Jim Hurd and everybody was so dead on trying to pull away from our roots. Right. Uh, to the point to where there was one time we were, uh, what event was it that we did in, in, uh, Winston Salem recently, uh, that we, oh, you and fall, I covered fall brawl, fall brawl. I was on WCW Monday nitro and I were, was promoting fall brawl, the launch Joel Coliseum. And I mentioned that the Lawrence Joe Coliseum is home to the Wake Forest Demon Deacons of the ACC. And after the event that night, Eric crawled my ass. No one gives a fuck about Wake Forest. 
No one gives a fuck about the ACC. And I thought, you know what? You're fucking wrong. ACC is national basketball and even more so now. Right. But Eric was so into removing us from the Carolinas, removing us from the South. It is almost to me back then on par to what NASCAR is doing now. They're trying to pull away from their roots. They're trying to ignore the South, even though they're based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they are just shunning their, their longtime fans by doing so. And, and that may be, uh, one of the, uh, problems with the, with WCW all along for getting your roots and trying to own who you are, down. just own who you are. Exactly. Own who you are. Absolutely. And who you are can be nationwide. Yeah, I mean, look at us. We're a couple of slab dicks, and we got right. accents, and we don't know what the hell we're doing. And exactly, I'm a fat uh, and, guy. And look, look, and you got a look beard. At the, look at the uh, the number one wrestling company in the world, the WWE. Uh, the voice of WWE, the greatest announcer in wrestling history, Jim Ross, Jr. Southern Oklahoma twang. Where's the cowboy hat? Where's the cowboy hat? And, and you're telling me that didn't work there. Damn right. It worked there. So, uh, again, and I know we're talking, I'm doing a little freestyling here on dusty and flair. Uh, it, it, it was a wrong thing to do. They wanted to move forward and they wanted to push everything else down. And I think that it was the wrong thing to do. I, um, I want to talk about the matches. Now our first match up, I got to say, caught me by surprise, Jason jet. Um, Meltzer would write interesting that the former easy money will be the trivia question answer as to what wrestler was on the last pay-per-view for both ECW and WCW. So easy money was his ECW name. Of course here he's Jason jet. And I didn't realize that when I first watched it, because when he comes out and they say Jason jet, I'm like, this guy looks familiar and I see his gear and I'm like, I know this guy. I knew him as easy money more than I did Jason jet. Um, and you guys do a good job in promoting Jason Jett. You're saying that you know he's got him himself over in just a mere week. He upset Alex Wright uh, on the previous Thunder, and uh, he's wrestling Kiwi, uh, the Alan Funk. And I thought this match is kind of underrated. I didn't remember this, and I was not ready for it. Meltzer gave it three and three quarter stars. Uh, everybody in my house I watched it with this week thought it was a really phenomenal match. Uh, what did you think of this match? It was a phenomenal match. Both kids worked really hard and sold well for, for each other. Great match. Uh, again, I, I apologize to Jason Jett not remembering him at all. You know, I never, wa- I never have watched, and, and, and I'm sorry for this, I never have watched one ECW event ever. Well, next time you come over, we're fixing that. Okay. Uh, so... The chance of ECW and all this, you know, I'd heard about it. I never watched one ECW event, uh, and, uh, which was probably wrong. So I, I don't know who this kid is and didn't know through the years, but, uh, I liked it. I, I, I loved it caught me by surprise. I I didn't position myself. You know, I did what everybody does. I I saw these guys come out and I thought, Oh God, this is a pay-per-view and we've got these guys. I underestimated them. I slept on them. I was a bad fan. But this was a really good match. Of course, they had, you know, they're doing lots of high spots here. And so it is more Lucha style in that there's some, some nonsensical stuff and there's some blown spots. But overall, if you were looking for something to really get your attention, I thought they did a great job with this. They did a spot where Kiwi threw Jason out by the hair over the top rope to the floor. That was awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the DDT to the floor where he kind of springboards his legs backwards was a really innovative spot. Uh, Jet was thrown over the post to the floor out of the ring, which was phenomenal. They had a top rope power bomb or top rope pile driver reversed into Hurricane Rana. Uh, and then the finish with Jet playing possum and then the crash landing, his actual, you know, kind of release suplex, I thought was a really, really good, I mean, a hell of an opener. And uh, yeah, yeah, it set the pace for a really good show to me. Yeah, it did. It set the pace for a really good show. That was a really good show. And I went out of this match. This is where I started thinking after watching this, you know, where in the hell did we go wrong? We had some good shit going on here. Yeah. And it started with this event. And you kept the good shit going, uh, with the next match. This is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I'm a huge Elix Skipper fan. I've thought for a long time that Elix Skipper deserved a better break in the business. Um, I, I think, I think he's one of the more underrated performers. He's tagging here with kid Romeo and they become the first ever WCW cruiserweight tag team champions, beating Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. In just under 14 minutes, Meltzer would write, the match had big-time heat as all four looked really good. So this is another spot fest, lots of high spots. Uh, You could tell when you watch this, though, there is a difference between some of these more seasoned performers like Mysterio and Kidman uh, than maybe what you had in the first match. Their stuff looked a little crisper. Meltzer would really like this one a lot. He gives it four stars. Uh, he says Kidman and Mysterio looked probably the best they have in a long time. And Romeo shows potential to be a cruiserweight superstar down the line with his work, uh, and charisma. Um, what'd you think of this match? And, um, you know, how are you feeling about this so far? Well, uh, let me be careful how I say this because I, I liked all the performers and I, and I thought it was good. Scott James was the referee, uh, and, this match, if you're into high spots, this match morphed into a high spot fest. Sure. It wasn't the first one. It wasn't, it wasn't the first one that happened to WCW. But there was a point later on in the show when Team Canada faced Conan and Hugh Morris. Yeah. There was a point in the show where they did a uh, referee didn't see the tag. Yeah. Wouldn't let Hugh come in and they wrestled like a, a traditional tag team match. And it made no sense following this. We got all four guys in the ring the whole time and the referee not doing anything about it. Yeah. So now we're in the midst of just doing, we're just, we're just doing acrobatic bullshit. Sorry the, to call it bullshit for the sake of we're doing, doing it. Okay. We're doing acrobatic stuff for the sake of doing acrobatic stuff for the sake of the fans going, woo, wow. So you see how the business had changed. Do, do you uh, think they could have just, imp- no, obviously they didn't, but do you think that you could have overcame that by saying, Hey, um, cruiserweight tag title matches are going to be under different rules than heavyweight tag title matches. So we'll allow, you know, looser policies on tags. We could have said that we could have also said, you know, fans, we're not going to worry about a match here. We're just going to watch them do their shit. Uh, I, there was a point in this match where I, I'm, uh, I'm like completely lost. Yeah. No, the don't get me wrong. There's a lot going lost. on for sure. Um, you know, you can st- look at, you can still do your shit and make it seemingly a match and get things over without doing things that in a normal match would get you disqualified or get you counted out. Or there were no counts by the referee. Get out of the ring. Hell, all four men were going out and the referee was just like, Oh, let them go. So I liked it. But in the, in the scheme of, of me being an old fart, there was a lot of it that I, that I didn't like as far as it being a, uh, a traditional match. 
the um let's talk about the actual characters in here uh well first of all i love the shooting star press off the top rope to the floor was that not one of the cooler spots on the show What's that? That was one of the cooler spots on the show, wasn't it? Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. No question. Uh, the finish of the match, I thought, looked pretty scary. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. Th- this match and the first match are worth checking out. But um, it comes with uh, Mysterio um, doing a, I don't know how to describe it. He does the 619 tease on one side and then bounces off the ropes on the other in the air and Romeo catches him and then does like, I don't know exactly, but it looks like he drops him on his head. We watched it a few different right. times. Uh, Meltzer describes it as saying he was trying to give him the last kiss, a version of a tombstone pile driver or a Northern lights bomb. But when we saw it, we thought if he didn't land on his head, he landed very high on his neck. And either way, uh, that's not good. Yeah. The kids are doing things, uh, and, uh, putting their bodies at risk for the, uh, for just wowing the crowd, which I always thought was the wrong thing to do, but it was, it was a great finish in a match where you had probably 500 things that could have been finishes. Um, and I, I and like, the, been. I like the comment when Elix comes out and he says, um, this is my house. You said something like every house we go to is his house. <laughs> uh, I, I've always loved Elix Skipper. He was presenting himself here as prime time. Uh, a member of Team Canada. Give me something about Elix Skipper. He's a guy who doesn't get enough love. Uh, no, Elix Elix great kid. He'd do anything you ask, uh, and just a wonderful guy to work with. Uh, and I I agree with you. I don't think he gets enough love uh, in the business. Uh, and it was a he did some great things. You know, walking the top rope and the stuff that he did. And uh, I, I loved Elix Skipper a lot. And uh, I, again, I think it was pretty apparent in this match that the uh, the two better performers were Mysterio and, and Kidman, the two more polished performers. But those those two guys, if they were upset about dropping or not winning the cruiserweight belts, they didn't show it because they put over the the kids' shit and made those job. kids look good. Yeah, it, it was weird too to see after all these years of seeing him with it. It is still weird to go back and see Mysterio without the mask. Yeah, it is. Handsome young man. Uh, who's but, more handsome, Kid Romeo or Rey Mysterio? No, Rey Mysterio is in, yeah. in a very, in a very uh, exotic Latino way. So, if you were gonna go out for dancing and drinks with one of these guys, you would not pick Kid Romeo. You would go Rey Mysterio. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'd go out with either one because they they could pick up the women. I know you know what you're trying to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna clip out the part where you said pick up the women. I would go out with either one. <laughs> <laughs> I would. So, because uh, so. the women, the, the you know the uh, the hot women on South Beach would say, "Hey, who's the fat guy in the corner there with you, Romeo?" And he'd say, "This is my friend Tony," and Tony has a button on a fur coat, in case you wanted to know. And would you introduce him as your concubine? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the dancing yeah. after the match? I feel like that was probably your high spot to see these guys gyrate like that. Yeah, it, it, you know, again, I, I can understand this before the match and putting themselves over. But if you have a high impact four star kick ass match like this, why do you fucking dance? You know, you know, in Romeo, even even Romeo even grabbed his trunks and pulled them down. Did you put that in slow motion? 
No. Well, uh, Elix did it because he's prime time. And whenever Deion Sanders, the real prime time, would score a touchdown, he wouldn't just politely hand the ball back to the referee. He had to get his shit in. He had to strut. Right. Um, let's talk about the backstage skit we see next. We've got kind of this theme through the show where we've got Buff Bagwell carrying us around in like, um, you know, ECW used to have the fan cam. So I guess this is just a, a handheld videographer. The WWF had tried something like this with GTV, except it was a hidden camera here. We know that someone has been paid by Buff Bagwell to film backstage segments. Um, but we don't know who it is. So. I assume this was just a real cameraman from WCW trying to make, trying to shoot it shittily. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know what the storyline here was going to be? The storyline was going to be. What's the explanation for filming shit in the back? The, the explanation is buff having his, I, I don't know what you're asking here. Okay. It's just, it's, just an, it's, it's another, it's another gimmick here. It's another part of the show. There's it's, not going to be a payoff though. We're just doing it to do it. Right. Okay. To be different. Uh, to, to be irreverent. I was watching this with uh, Cassio Kid and Big Booty Judy, and, and Judy said, Flair looks like Guy Fieri here. Uh, and he had <laughs> the Hawaiian shirt on, the, right. spot, the spiked blonde hair, the gold yeah. watch. Uh, he looked a lot like Guy Fieri. But I feel like, I feel like if Flair hosted uh, one of those shows like um, Diners, Dives, and Drives or whatever it is, that would be a different show. Wouldn't you imagine? Yes. I, I would imagine it would. Uh, Conrad, <clears throat> who's big booty, Judy, uh, big booty. Judy is the, uh, the new bride of uh, Cassio kid, who is uh, a standup comedian and a morning show host here in Huntsville. Who's probably my best friend. And, uh, he outkicked his coverage. So now he doesn't let her get very far. So mm-hmm. when he comes over to watch wrestling, he'll like chain her to the radiator or something real, <laughs> something real classy, you know, Alabama black snake. Moan. It, do, you, do you know, does she know that she's called big booty Judy? Not only does she know that she named herself that. Oh, so, you so know, type- you know, if you, if you self anoint yourself as big booty Judy, you got some serious uh, junk in the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Lois and anointed herself as big bitch Lois. Hmm. Uh, so that's an entirely different story. Uh, sorry, that got me uh, out of context here. But yeah, I thought Rick, I thought the stuff was was entertaining with Ric Flair in the back. He was he was animated. Uh, he did a great job with that stuff, so I liked it. Is it just me, or is Jeff Jarrett wearing these yellow glasses that he looked like he was running a sawmill? Yeah, <laughs> I never understood. Like, what, what are you yeah. building today, Bob Vila? What are you showing us how to do here? Yeah, a sawmill, or he's going out and shooting uh, shooting archery. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna do a little skeet shooting. Which, yeah, exactly. Know, Klondike Bill is probably the original skeet shooter, don't you think? Boy, don't you know it, man! So Sean Stasiak comes out next and uh, pins Buff Bagwell in just under six minutes. Uh, Meltzer is not a fan. Stasiak because he's tall with a physique and does nothing in the ring. Kind of reminds me of a younger Luger. Finish saw Keebler distract the ref and Stasiak use hairspray to the eyes and hit a neckbreaker for the pin. Stasiak and Keebler did a lewd demonstration after the match in the ring, uh, half a star. I got to tell you now that we have kind of been desensitized to all human and common decency on this show, them making out and with him as the aggressor and then her as the aggressor, that does not feel lewd compared to Klondike bill. Am I right? No, absolutely. We, we, we've got, we've gone past this and, and, and lewd was a part of what we did. Hell. I mean, the show where we had sin. We're having greed. 
So having lewd is not problems. If, uh, if, uh, kid Romeo almost pulling his trunks down to expose his junk, uh, is not lewd, then this is not lewd. So this doesn't bother me at all. And not only that, anything Stacy Keebler did, we all loved, right? Uh, yeah. I, I, in my notes here, I put how roll tied is Stacy Keebler on this show? Oh, wow. I mean, is this, she's got to be like top three in the history of wrestling, right? No question. Absolutely. No question. She was, she was beautiful, had those great long legs just, uh, and she probably of all the women in WCW probably became the biggest star, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And right. man, shout out to friend of the show, David Flair. Uh, I don't know that he listens, but fucking, Hey man, roll tide. Mm. You're you know, not kidding, buddy. It, it made me think, you know, obviously Clooney is pro- probably her George Clooney, of course, was uh, the boy, longtime boyfriend of Stacy Keebler. Um, are you familiar with who Kim Kardashian is? Uh, yes. Are you familiar with who Kanye West is? Yes. Did you know that Kim Kardashian once appeared in a sex tape with a, a, an R and B singer named Ray J? No. Okay. So that happened. And then okay. after it happened and she became a superstar and she was with Kanye West, he released a song called I hit it first. <laughs> okay. I think we should have a shirt on pro wrestling tees. In honor of Mrs. Keebler, uh-huh. that says Flair hit it first. And it, yes. does, it wouldn't necessarily just apply to Stacy, because if we go a generation before we include Rick, this yeah. would work in thousands of situations. Oh, my God. Hundreds of thousands of situations. If 1% of those people bought shirts, you, could re- you and Lois could retire. Yeah, absolutely. And we could have uh, Flair hit it first, and I was there. <laughs> which would work for a thousand situations too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I got to tell you, I thought, uh, Sean Stasiak, when I looked at this match, I felt like, and I don't know why I thought he looked like a jacked up version of Shane Douglas here. Yeah. Um, his eyebrows are on fleek as the kids are saying, what'd you think of, uh, Stasiak's eyebrow trimming technique I, here? I, I didn't even notice it. It, it. it became the topic of conversation at my house. When Judy pointed out, she said, Ooh, Homie's eyebrows are on fleek. I had to think for a minute. Well, okay. She's not talking about Bam Bam Bigelow. Okay. She means Stasiak (laughs) and wow. It's something else, man. I I also enjoyed the part of his match here where he threw photos of himself to the crowd. I think that's like a super heel thing to do. I I enjoyed that. I'm such a superstar that I want to give you all pictures, but I'm not going to get down and hand them to you. I'm going to stand in the ring and throw them down to you. Like you were peasants. I thought that was a nice little twist. I enjoyed that. Yeah, they they gave him either they gave him things to do or he came up with things to do himself. But a lot of things that he did were good heel, arrogant things to do. I thought, and then having a gorgeous woman with him would give you any more would give you more heat as well. Him working with Bam Bam here, eh? I'm not so sure. I guess Bam Bam is standing up for the bald, fat people in the world, right? Uh, Bam Bam has always been to me a great performer. Uh, I was there at the Omni. When Bam Bam and Dusty were tag team and Bam Bam uh, puked on the side of the ring. Uh, so I, I've seen Bam Bam work a lot. God rest his soul. Uh, but he just, I mean, it was pretty apparent that he wasn't going to win this match. It was, you a, think? it was a shitty match and he wrestled in his shirt. This is not the best version of Bam Bam we ever saw. Right. Uh, it is a shame that this is one of the last times we would see him on a big stage. Um, let's talk about. 
the segment they do in the back next. And we've got the uh, new Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions snapping the belts on each other. And they get really close. And yeah. when one turns his back to another, he looks over his shoulder and says, come on, baby, get it in there. Strap it on. <laughs> and then they turn around and they, uh, they hug each other and become very uncomfortable and then move away. Uh-huh. Um, was this the highlight of your show? And do you give this six stars? No, it was not the highlight of my show because, uh, they, when they were strapping it on each other, they, they did it quickly. They should have milked it a little bit. And I would have given it six stars. Milk the prostate or milk, what are we saying? Milk. <laughs> you said, these are your words. You said when they were strapping it on. Oh my God. That's going to be a shirt. <laughs> I hope not. I'm not selling that one. Milk the prostate is going to, oh, congratulations, everyone. You have seen us go as low as we can go. <laughs> and how fitting it's on the very last WCW show. That's right. Uh, so next up, we've got Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. Uh, they would beat Conan and Hugh Morris in about 11 and a half minutes. Meltzer would say it had a lot of timing problems. Uh, yeah. And ultimately, uh, Awesome would get the win and when he uh, picked up Hugh Morris and delivers a running Awesome Bomb for the pin. It gets half a star. I felt like this team Canada, I, I, I'm a fan of everybody in the ring. I've yep, always thought too. Conan uh, presented himself as cool and edgy. And, uh, he was a guy that, you know, the kids would obviously look up to, uh, teenagers and stuff like that. Hugh Morris was always an underrated performer. As far as in ring, one of the bigger guys to be able to do the, uh, the top rope stuff the way he did Lance storm. I feel like is one of the crisper performers ever. There is a couple of spots in the match where you think, well, that's not the best I've ever seen from him. And you just wonder, is it timing or what? So maybe Meltzer's right on there. And I've professed my love to Mike awesome before, man. One of my all time favorites. I loved the Canadian killer. Mike awesome here as well. This is a great improvement from the fat chick thriller. Uh, I've always enjoyed Lance storms really. Um, I don't know. It's a big departure from the way the rest of wrestling is presented. When he says, can I be serious for a minute? Exactly. What did you think of that? Did you, did you dig it? It's I wasn't sure when I watched it. I wonder what Tony thinks of this. Oh, I thought it was well done. I, I thought the whole Lance storm. I'd like to be serious for a moment. Uh, was a, a very good heel thing to do. Uh, I, I was never sure that we should present Canadians as heels. You know, we're booing Canada here. Uh, and I know they booed us, uh, after George Bush, uh, invaded Afghanistan or invaded, uh, Iraq, uh, during our national anthem. But I, I don't, I didn't think we should boo them. Uh, but, but Landstorm, Landstorm did a lot of great things and this was one of them. And, uh, he looked good. He had some great moves and just another great Canadian performer. what do you think of this match here? It gets uh, half a star, half a star. Yep. Why does it get what 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 what's the reason to give it a half a star because of some of the missed spots? I guess. Eh, it was better than a half a star. You know, uh, again, you got four guys who we all like. Conan who was was one of the guys who was able to throughout the years change his character as we moved along and and update himself and do a great job and Hugh Morse, some pretty good spots. Uh I liked it. I don't think it deserves a half a star. Uh, do you think that Lance Storm looks like the coach from Beavis and Butthead here? 
Yes, I guess he does. Butch, Butch Davis does too, just for you <laughs> SEC fans. Uh, okay. so, so let's get to uh, the backstage <laughs> segment we addressed earlier. This is where we see Dusty Rhodes having a giant platter delivered that Dustin is already offended by the smell for. Uh, he says he has 40 burritos and he is uh, eating these so he can pass wind on demand for his kiss my ass match. And when he says right. ass, for whatever reason, it's bleeped here. It's not later. But it is in this particular instance. Uh, do you remember what the thinking and bleeping this ass would have been if you're going to let the other ones go through? Well, the uh, in the in the in the context of this thing, there he said ass like three times, and the first two times it was bleeped in this the actual uh, set here, and the last time it wasn't, and then they didn't bleep it when they got to the ring. Uh, it was just uh, I don't know. Is that was that done by the WWE later? No, because he says ass later into the mic. I want to ask you about this. Meltzer wrote, uh, when Dusty said he wanted to be able to break wind on command. Yeah. Uh, he says, Tony Schiavone said everyone knew Rhodes was known for that, which is yeah. Dusty Rhodes trivia. I'm not sure everyone was thrilled to hear. Do you have any good Dusty Rhodes Putin stories you can share? Yeah. Dusty always, Dusty's, Dusty's farts, uh, alive or dead. He would like this story. Dusty's farts always sounded like there was something coming with it besides gas. <laughs> something. It was, it was a wet sounding, long, drawn out, high pitch type. And I would always say, boy, motherfucker, check your shorts. And he used to do it. We would drive down the road and it would be, I mean, you know, there was no SBDs with Dusty. They, they were like, they were part of his persona. You know, he was bigger than life and those things were bigger than life with some substance to it. So I had, I had seen those and felt those and unfortunately smelled those for years. So this was nothing new to me. Next up, we've got Shane Helms capturing the WCW cruiserweight title from Chavo Guerrero jr. In just under 14 minutes, Meltzer would say it was very obvious in this match that they were piping in the crowd noise. He said it started uh, slow early, but it did build well, and it was a good match, although not to the caliber of some of their previous matches. Uh, I don't know if you remember. I didn't when I watched this, but Shane Helms had a huge entrance here uh, with uh, a troop of women who came down who were referred to as the Sugar Babies. He was prevented with a he was presented with a really big entrance here and made to feel like a star. Of course, the Guerreros are known for the gory special. Uh, and you could turn that into a bomb when you just drop the guy, but that's what Shane uses as a finisher called the vertebraker. Uh, and he was actually able to reverse it. Helms was, and he used it to set up the pin. Meltzer gave it three stars. We've talked about it before on the show, but I think the vertebraker is one of the more dangerous looking moves in the history of wrestling. What say you? Yeah, I think it's one of those uh, moves that unless it's done correctly can end a guy's career and it probably helped in many guys' careers if they would try to do that on a regular basis. This was my favorite match on the show. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, because I love Chavo. Uh, I think we all like Shane, and he's a great performer. He loves the business. My God, Shane's been in the business forever. Uh, uh, and the girls added something to it. I, I liked this match. The only thing I didn't like about it was being WCW as we were, the graphic that you saw at the beginning of the match was WCW cruiserweight tag team championship. Yeah. And then they quickly took it off the screen, but I, I love this match. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. 
obviously we later got to see the big personality on Shane Helms. When did you know that Shane had this level personality? What I mean is if you're not, if you're listening and you haven't heard of Shane Helms interview, go out of your way to listen to it. I'm not saying just a promo from wrestling, but I mean like when he's on Austin's podcast or something like that, the dude is funnier than shit. Uh, yeah. he just has charisma dripping from him and his accent really adds to it. And I'm a Southern guy, but he has a Southern accent like we do. And, uh, it really adds to your enjoyment of the interview. Uh, he has a way with words and a way with presenting things, telling a story. I've always felt like he kind of missed his calling. He should be a, he should have a bigger role in broadcasting for wrestling. Oh, I, I agree with that. I, I knew Shane was going to be a star back when he was the shiny moment of three count. Well, he was there with, with your favorite. Who was your favorite? Yeah, with nothing happening to Evan Courageous. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, yeah, I knew back then he would. And uh, I, I never, and I, I guess I haven't watched enough of it since that time to understand the Hurricane, and I know he was always a, a superhero fan, the Hurricane Helms gimmick, but Great performer, great talker, uh, good kid, and a smoking hot wife, too. Have you seen her? Roll tight on her. Hey, so let's I'm talk about kidding. the next match. We've got Palumbo and O'Hare retaining the tag titles, beating Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell, who are calling mm-hmm. themselves totally buff. The match only goes 54 seconds, which we talked about a minute ago. Uh, when we watched this live this week, we felt like the promo lasted forever. It did. Uh, it was, it kept going minute after minute after minute. Uh, but the minute the bell rang, uh, both, uh, Luger and Bagwell fell down and had O'Hare give them the senton bomb and then laid down for a double pin by the champions. Meltzer would write, you know, the rest of the story, great way to impress whomever is thinking of hiring you next. And to Lex, a special note, thanks to all you've done in your career, or at least the latter stages, particularly at the bitter end. With this company that through its own stupidity made you a millionaire, negative one star, mm. uh, awful promo. I tell you what, if Arn Anderson approved this one, his ass should have been suspended. This was brutal. Um, who thinks this is a good idea? If you know, these guys are upset about doing the job, you're not even sure they're going to come back. Now you're going to give them live mics for several minutes. Uh, who booked this shit? Well, look, uh, to me, it ran too long, and that was the wrong part of it. But the fact that they were out on the and over, overplaying their arrogance worked for them losing quickly. Here are these smart asses coming out, taking up our time, telling everybody how great they are. Then all of a sudden, these young kids come in and say, okay, you're that great? Yeah, here, one, two, three, it's done. So in the context of what happened, the interview worked, but the length of the interview, and because they drug it out so long, it did not work. And that is, that was their own doing. They did that on purpose as we know. When, uh, when so maybe in, maybe in hindsight, we should have not, we should have not, uh, had them talk, but I, I think it worked for the finish. When they, am just, I wrong here? When am they I wrong just, here by saying this, when they just laid there through video packages and everything yeah, and sold it like they died. Yeah. How, what was the reaction amongst the boys in the back, the office, you know, Bischoff, you give me some feedback. Well, I can't tell you what the reaction was when the boys in the back, because I'm not back there. Um, but I can tell you what the reaction of me was is like, what in the fuck are they doing? Uh, type thing. Uh, it, it appears to me too, that, 
I mean, go, do me a favor. Read Meltzer's package uh, passage again about uh, Luger. And to Lex, a special note, thanks to all you've done in your career, or at least in the latter stages, particularly at the be- at the bitter end, with this company that through its own stupidity made you a millionaire. Sounds like that Luger has a lot of heat with Meltzer, man. He must not it's, have called and given him results. But either he didn't call and give him the results, or whoever's been calling Meltzer giving him results really hated Luger, which was probably more than one guy. But that, to me, you know, in uh, fairness, to me, that's, in that's, fairness, per- that's who, personal. Who really liked Luger? Who really liked Luger? Yeah. I don't know of anybody that really liked Luger. Well, so you said somebody really didn't like Luger. Well, I don't know that anybody really liked Luger okay. back then. Yeah. Let's talk about Sean O'Hare. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why, but he's one of the guys that I've always kind of circled. Like, why wasn't this guy a bigger deal? He had a phenomenal look. He's a big dude. Uh, why do you think O'Hare never became a superstar? I'm not so sure how good of a worker he was. And, and I'm not so sure. What does that uh, matter? I mean, the ultimate warrior is one of the best, biggest superstars in the business. What does that matter? Well, you know what that tells us? That tells us that the WWE knew what they were doing and we didn't. Oh, we're all tied on that. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a fault of the promotion, not of the guy. Um, but, uh, and uh, your comeback can be, well, what about the ultimate warrior? But Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo were guys who were, uh, good looking guys, great guys out of the power plant. All of a sudden they're world tag team champions. I don't know if that's fair to them or not. Well, if you're world tag team champions and you're going to have to be able to work a match with guys who can really work. And I, I, I'm not so sure. I just thought they were too green for that. To be clear, you're saying work a match with guys who can really work. And they were wrestling Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell. They're not yeah. exactly wrestling Ricky Morton and Bobby Eaton here. No, they're not. But if you're world tag team champions, you're going to have to wrestle. Well, no, you're not. It's all a, <laughs> it's all a fucking work, isn't it? It's all a ham sandwich <laughs> to, by this point. You don't uh, have to wrestle anybody. So next up, we've got the cat with Mrs. Jones and, uh, they get the win over Chris Canyon in about 10 and a half minutes. Uh, man, it's hard for me to watch Canyon matches and not be a little sad. I've always thought he was one of the innovators of offense. I really enjoyed him and, uh, he's gone too soon. And, uh, another one of those tragic tales that we talked about earlier with Mike awesome, but I've always found Ernest Miller to be a guilty pleasure. I think he's a super entertaining guy. I appreciated the little things he would do. James Brown, like with the Cape at the end, uh, he had a way on the microphone of making everything sound interesting. If anybody else said his words, it wouldn't be funny, but when he says it, it's funny for some reason. Uh, I was a fan of this. Meltzer was not so much. Uh, he only gave it a three quarters, uh, or a star in three quarters. It wasn't a terrible match, but wasn't the world's best. what do you think of this match? Uh, you know, uh, Ernest Miller, uh, was like that backstage too. It was a funny guy. The rap that he, the rap that he gave out in the crowd was kind of the rap he could always give us in the back as well. Liked his shit, man. Liked his stuff. And as far as his match is concerned, my favorite part of it, me and Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, we got a thing. Going on, do 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 do. Can I see you sing that whole song in Dallas at Three Links, right before? <laughs> do, Great Balls you remember that song? On July. Yeah, of course I do. Okay. Yeah, she was pretty hot, and she 
and she she could kick pretty pretty well too. I thought. Did you ever did you ever have her kick you? No, I did not. Hey, um, did you ever have any of the ladies jump out of that makeup chair and do any apartment wrestling with you? No, really. No, No, but uh, not even um, Medusa. No, but Medusa kissed me one time. On the firmly on the lips. Okay, you kissed her on the lips, or she? No, she kissed me. She initiated it. And what did Lois think of this? This is the first time if she listens to the podcast, first time she'd heard of it. First of all, she ain't listen. First of all, she's not okay, awake. Thank it's God. All, it's only uh, noon. And no, secondly, but, uh, she's not listening. We were in, oh, uh, Medusa and I were, again, we're good friends. And we, we, we <laughs> horsed yes. around, we horsed around a lot. Horse. Yeah. You know, horsed around a lot. Uh, I had a good time, had fun, laughed a lot in the back. Uh, the back. I enjoyed all the, I, I mean, I enjoyed all the, the women back there. You, enjoy, uh, you enjoyed them all. I did. I enjoyed their company. I enjoyed their company. So you're like Tony Suave now. No, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a friend. That's all I am. I'm a, I'm, look, I was a nice fucking guy. Okay. I was, I was, I was a nice guy. Wait, I thought a nice guy or a nice fucking guy. <laughs> I was a nice If you guy. put the emphasis on the wrong Mrs. word there, you get a totally different meaning. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. I, I know one thing's for sure. You didn't sing these ladies to go to bed with you. That's for <laughs> sure. Uh, so what do you think of the match overall? Uh, I enjoy anything, you know, that Ernest Miller and Canyon do this. Canyon doesn't look to be in the best shape he's ever been in here. No. Right. Um, but in Ernest Miller's wrestling with a shirt. Uh, so maybe their diet isn't where it should be, but the entertainment is there, at least for me. What's wrong with wrestling with a shirt? I, you know, does everybody got to look like Sean O'Hare? No, no, but once upon a time, Ernest Miller didn't wrestle with a shirt. Now he's wrestling with a shirt. It was just an observation. My apologies. Didn't mean to offend the fat guys. I am the leader of fat guy <laughs> podcast nation. Uh, <laughs> next up, we've got Booker T he wins the U S title from Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner is as big as a house here. Uh, this is probably the largest I've ever seen him. The match goes about yeah. seven and a half minutes. Meltzer says they were piping in more, uh, fake crowd noise. And he thought it was kind of boring. Uh, to start with, he wrote Steiner is scary and obviously very tough, but that doesn't translate to the fans. Booker kicked the ref Mickey J when Steiner moved Rick did a release German suplex and went for the kill. But Shane Douglas came out with a cast and, and hit Steiner and T did his bookend, which is a rock bottom for the pin one quarter star. Uh, Booker T has much shorter hair here. He's got the dookie locks in and, uh, Steiner, uh, is, is is huge and champ and drops it to Booker T. And of course, on the last nitro Booker T would win the world title as well. So on the last pay-per-view Booker T beats the Steiner brother for the U S title. And on the last nitro Booker T beats the Steiner brother for the world title, uh, clean sweep for Booker T here. What'd you think of the match? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the crowd noise bothered me, uh, it, to the point to where, and this is after watching it, the crowd noise bothered me to the point to where it was disconcerting. From this fans didn't care about the match. I don't think with the exception of that one guy down front, who was obviously a big Booker T fan. And, and that's why the, the match was disconcerting. Uh, I always like Booker T stuff. We know how great a performer Rick is, um, watching this match. I'd lo- and watching the final match. I longed for the days of the Steiner brothers, man, aren't they awesome? My favorite, they were, tag they were freaking awesome. And now look what they are. Yeah. 
Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, they're singles champs here. They're huge stars, but well, still, but they, when they were the Steiner brothers, hard to beat, hard to beat when they were in their element, when they were on top of their game, that match they had at the egg dome in Tokyo that Ross and I called outstanding. Yeah. It's just top of the line. The match they had against the nasty boys from, uh, you Halloween know, well, I guess the hell. Yeah. yeah. Just so I long for the days of the Steiner brothers. I did when I called the match back then. And, and I did watching this, this event. I don't think the fans were into it. It wasn't that good, but it was good to see Booker T get the win. Booker T's entrance is really cool. The music don't hate the play. I hate the game. I liked all of that. I, I thought Rick Steiner here could have been a monster heel. I would have liked to have seen him have an extended run. It's a shame that we didn't get to see that next up. We've got dusty and Dustin Rhodes defeating Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett in about 10 minutes. Uh, Flair wrestles here in slacks and a Hawaiian shirt. As we mentioned earlier, it was the first time these guys had faced off on pay-per-view. Um, I think the crowd was more into this than anything else, particularly seeing dusty do his stuff. It's very old school. They cut off the ring tease for the hot tag. They finally get it. Um, elbows for everybody, the flip flop and fly. And then, uh, you know, dusty kind of had to put himself, not dusty, but Rick had to put himself in an inside cradle. Uh, for the finish when Dustin gets the pin Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. And after the match, Dusty pulls his pants down. This is the payoff. Somebody mm-hmm. has to kiss his ass. So Dustin restrains Jeff Jarrett, uh, on the bottom turnbuckle from behind the post. And he dro- Dusty drops his pants to reveal. I'll, I'll let Meltzer take it from here to reveal mm-hmm. red, what would be called briefs, but not in his case and gave Jarrett the Rikishi stink face. Uh, kind of a silly payoff, but it's old school wrestling. Uh, what did you think of the match and uh, Dusty's last appearance in a ring here on pay-per-view? Well, it was over with the fans because of its old school territory, and Dusty was obviously big time in Florida, as we know. Uh, it was the most entertaining part of the whole night for me. The whole thing was. And that comes back from where I came from, too. Uh, I loved it all. Dusty... Uh, Flair did a great job. You know, Dusty went in and, you know, when he first went in, he told Flair to hold it and he shook his butt. People love that shit. You know, I, the, the stars given to him by Meltzer are based on what are, are based on, I would give it five stars for entertainment value. Right. So what are, what's his stars based on work rate? It's a good the way it looks. It's a good question. Yeah. I, to me, I would give the match five stars because it was the most entertaining part of the whole night. Uh, and one of the things that really surprised me about this was, and it did surprise me uh, back then, and don't ask me how I know this because I really don't know, but I do know this. Dusty never wore underwear. And how, never. And how do you know that? I just knew that. He never wore underwear. And so when the pants went down, I was surprised to see underwear on. I think it may be a Texas thing. No underwear and jeans. Huh. You may want to look, you may want to put that in your Google machine, but Dusty never wore underwear. And I knew that. I I feel like there's more of a story you're not telling us about how you know this, but we'll get there one day. All right. Here's, here's how I know this. Uh, do you remember when, way back when, I did an interview with Dusty Rhodes and Willie Nelson? 
Yes. This was old school stuff. Yes. We went to Tucson, Arizona and did that because uh, Willie was shooting a Willie was shooting a movie back then with Chris Christopherson and uh, David Allen Coe at Old Tucson. I think it was the remake of Stagecoach. I'm not sure. And uh, we were going to shoot this thing at the pool at the hotel. And uh, we were out setting up. Uh, Wayne Daniel and I were setting up the cameras and the lights and everything. And Willie walks out to the pool. And, uh, so I said, well, we better get dusty. Wayne said, go back and get dusty. So I knock on the door, boom, 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 boom. And I remember dusty saying, uh, come on in. I've got it in a jar. I said, okay. And he's laying in bed. And I said, uh, Willie's out there already. He said, good, good. I'm glad he's out there because I want him to go out first. He said, see the star always comes out second. And he, <laughs> he did that to make me laugh that he was a bigger star than Willie Nelson which in their own right, they were two gigantic stars. So I said, well, we better go. So he, he has his shirt on and he pulls off the covers and he's butt naked with just the shirt on. He said, all right, I'm coming. So I'm standing. I don't know why I'm still standing like an idiot. And he pulls the jeans on over without any underwear on. And I said, are you going to do this bareback? He said, that's what I always, I never wear underwear. I said, okay. So. That's how I know he, he never wore underwear. <sighs> Only on this show. So you can imagine that. that some of those real wet sounding farts stained a lot of those jeans. And, you know, you wouldn't necessarily t- clean your jeans every day and wear them for a week, maybe. Just a guess. A guess here. I don't know. Well, let's guess that we've got one match left. And, uh, of course we're talking about big Papa pump, Scott Steiner retaining the WCW world title, beating diamond Dallas page after about 14 minutes. And the storyline leading into this is they're still looking for the mystery person who has attacked Medasia an animal, um, Meltzer would write page always works hard. So this was a good match. They broke crutches on each other. Now I want to talk about this because they brawl through the crowd here. Um, and then there's this other barricaded off area where there is a fan on crutches all by yeah. himself. This not, run, not, not getting away. This is the most obvious plant in the history of plants. Who is this guy? I have no idea who he was, but he I was, mean, could this he was one been, of, he had to be one of our crew members. Okay. That had to be That's, so obvious. And then they've gimmicked the crutches to where they'll explode. They take a crutch from him. Astoner does and pushes him down. Uh, and so now this poor man is hopping around on one crutch, but when DDT DDP needs a crutch, he gives him his other one and then he's walking fine. This is the most WCW story of all time. Um, (laughs) I, I, I thought this was a fun match for what it was. They try to, uh, you know, do everything they can, including both guys bleeding. They do a spot where they're getting weapons from the crowd and, uh, Steiner almost gets, one of the weapons at the wrong time because they're on either side of the aisle and it almost looks like a a waitress delivery tray and he goes to get it from one side and then he realizes, Oh, that's the wrong one. He goes across the aisle and wrestles an identical prop from a fan across the aisle. And that's when I realized, Holy shit. That's Paul London. Did you know that was Paul London or do you even know who Paul London is? No. Paul London is, is a phenomenal wrestler who had, uh, some really great matches in the independence like ring of honor before becoming signed by the WWE. Uh, he had a good tag run with Brian Kendrick, who's now with the company. 
uh, and was famously fired when he was laughing uh, when when Mr. McMahon right before Mr. McMahon uh, and had his his limousine explode. Uh, so it was it was a weird weird little story for Paul London to be here at least for me. Uh, but I thought the match was pretty good for what it was. And, uh, the, the fans at one point are chanting for Goldberg and Meltzer would write, everyone knew it was a setup for Goldberg to come back. And then the show ended, he gave it three and a half stars. The finish of course comes There's They use every weapon in the book here, blood from both guys. Uh, and the story is diamond Dallas page won't quit. He gets him in the Boston crab. He tries to push out of it. The blood is streaming down his face, like stone cold at WrestleMania 13. Uh, and then eventually he gets him in the Steiner recliner. Uh, he passes out. He goes limp when the wrist drops the third time. The match is over, and uh, Steiner just drops DDP, who who falls directly on his face. Uh, and that's it. That's the end. WCW has no more pay per views. Uh, what do you think of this main event and uh, the show overall? The show overall was a very good show, and again. I'm, I'm thinking that is something that we could have built on had they salvaged the company, but they didn't want to do it for, for a variety of reasons. Obviously, if you go back and you think about it, all the lawsuits is another reason to dump the company because you don't want to have to, as a corporation, fool with that bullshit. Uh, we, uh, the match was good. Boy, uh, Paige really opened up, didn't he? Yeah. My a lot goodness. A lot of blood here. A lot of blood. And, and it, it, helped that, it helped that story of that page was not going to give up, but he had just lost too much blood and he was putting all these moves. And so he was out. So I think it furthered the story. Uh, and I think the, I think it left the fans with, uh, with, a, uh, because of all the blood, it left the fans thinking that, you know, it goes back to the old hook in wrestling to me. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. But that shit was real. Right. And, uh, it left the fans. I thought it was a good way to end a pay-per-view. I think uh, the short uh, ramp way that we had showed that we didn't have that many people in the house. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. This is a different setup than normal, and yeah. there's only a few rows of um, uh, of fans on the floor here. And, and I thought the whole thing kind of presented a little differently than than the way it had been in the past. You have you don't have the big logo on the ramp. It's a, it's a different entrance set. There's only like five rows of fans on the floor. It presented like. Uh, a small time wrestling promotion here, which I guess by this point it kind of was. Yeah. It, 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 you, what you saw was a result of, uh, not as many fans coming to our events. Uh, so having to uh, scale the house based on that and probably not as much in the budget for design and setting and things like that. Um, there was a time, you know, I've talked about this. Uh, I, I thought we did a good job with video packages. Uh, in this show, setting things up. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was well done during the Canyon video package. You see that where they turn the limousine over. Yeah. What in the fuck were we thinking? You know, we had to pay for that. Right. It's, it's a waste of money and a time when you didn't have money to waste. Exactly. And so, so there were a lot of factors that went in, went into WCW going, uh, down the shitter. I, I do like to say this. Uh, I enjoyed working with Scott Hudson. And I think it came across that way. Uh, Scott was a funny, funny guy, made me laugh and, uh, love the business. Uh, and you know, he's uh, in real life, he's an FBI agent. And, uh, Scott, uh, was one of the guys who was old school, loved the business. He was from, Val- uh, from, uh, down in South Georgia, I almost said Valdosta. Sorry about that, Scott. 
his father was a state trooper. Uh, his father passed away right before we were getting ready to do a nitro one night, unexpectedly of a heart attack. Uh, and uh, I always enjoyed working with Scott. I thought he was funny. I thought we worked together quite well. He made me a better uh, announcer. I don't remember saying anything about this event being the biggest in the history of our business during that time. But I thought we we sold the stuff pretty well. Are there any comments from Meltzer about the commentary for this show? No, he, uh, he thinks that Scott Hudson is the, the Lord and Savior of commentary. <laughs> no, of I'm, course no, he would. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, no, he didn't. He didn't bury it too much this week. I, I think yeah. he kind of laid off of you. Um, but, I thought the commentary was was okay. I, I thought we sold the shit quite well. Yeah, I mean, we agree. It, it was just too little, too late. You know, if it wasn't for exactly. you and Lash Larue, Nina dropped twenty pounds, and that goddamn crowbar contract, WCW yeah. would still be here. But right. when I go through the list of of epic failures that really killed the business uh, for WCW, I don't think. Uh, Vince Russo or Eric Bischoff or Hulk Hogan or Kevin Nash in order. I think of Tony Schiavone's commentary, Lash LaRue's inability to lose 20 pounds and crowbars contract. If those combination of things could have been corrected, we'd still be enjoying WCW today. I would agree. And I would say take Tony Schiavone off camera, take him off commentary and put him in the back and let him be a producer, which is always what he wanted to do anyway. And that's what we're so, doing. Yeah. What happened when live, it'll be Bruce and I on stage. Tony will be in the back producing, <laughs> wearing a headset. Uh, we're going to salvage this fucking show. It's the super show. You always wanted to know what would happen if these two podcasts collide. Well, you're going to find out on July 9th. Uh, we're going to talk about all things Tony and the WWF. We're going to hit on some SummerSlam 1989. And, of course, touch on some Monday Night Wars because these guys have totally different opinions about what makes professional wrestling fun. And I'm going to be there to stir shit, which is what I do best. Uh, pick Boy, up your tickets. Do you right ever, now. motherfucker. Do you ever. WHWlive.com is the only place to get tickets. It's not a huge venue. Tickets are going to sell out. And don't forget, next week, one week from today, what you've been waiting for the four horsemen episode is here we're going to start from the very beginning and we want you to go ahead and be caught up to order your book right now it's the four horsemen book from our friends at the mid-atlantic gateway go to whw.midatlanticgateway.com and you'll have your copy by the time the show airs it's whw.midatlanticgateway.com and join us next week when we talk about all things four horsemen we're also giving away a book this week Bill Dizzle on Twitter. You have been selected to receive a brand new copy of the Ford Horseman book. And if you'd like to win a copy, just cruise on over to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. Next week, we're going to give away four copies of the book and we're going to talk about all things Ford Horseman. So hang on, hang on. Ho, 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 ho. Is Bill Dizzle a real name? No, that's not his real name. Uh, it, it is a stage name. Yeah, it sounds like a carny name to me. Bizzle Dizzle. Let's run through that. We've got Bill Dizzle, Big Booty Judy, Cassio Kid, Felix Skipper. We've ran through Jason Jett. This sounds like Oops. witness protection programming right here, does it not? <laughs> yes, it does. I, but I, here, though, the only people who have to hide their face are our listeners. We're ashamed of what we're making you guys go through to listen to us this week. But we had a good time. I had a good time. But when I look at my clock, Tony, I can't help but think. It's about that time. 
Thank you very much. We're in the process of the match, and Dustin Rhodes rolls out the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. One, two, three. It's over. And the winners of the match, Dustin Rhodes and Dusty Rhodes, over the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Conrad Thompson. And they've got Conrad caught in the corner now. And Dusty Rhodes has dropped his pants. He's going to, oh, it looks like they got Conrad tied up. Dusty's going to make Conrad kiss his ass. But wait a second. Dusty has on no underwear. None. I guess they're going to milk the prostate. And we'll see you next week on What Happened When.